to the vineyard. My name is Adam Russell. I'm the pastor here. Really glad that you're with us this morning. Hope you found hope you found some some coffee or some juice and uh, make your way on in. We're about to start here. Everybody having a good weekend so far? Yeah. Happy summer day, huh? Yeah. Great. Hey, uh, if you want to, open up your Bibles to John chapter 10. This is the second week in our counterculture series. Um, And this is a series where we're looking at specifically what it means to be God's distinct people. We're looking at uh, what does it look like when the yeast of God's kingdom gets planted inside of a life and that yeast causes a kingdom work to grow and to raise that person up into a new kind of person. What does it look like when the yeast of the kingdom gets hidden in a heart and replicates over and over again? Uh, We're looking at what it means also for the yeast of the kingdom to not just be sown into an individual, but more importantly, what does it look like for the yeast of the kingdom to be sown into a whole community? Uh, What does it mean for an entire group of people, a whole community of people, to yield to the influence of heaven. And uh, if you remember from last week, I wondered out loud with you, if it's possible that the church is becoming so culturally relevant that she is actually becoming kingdom irrelevant. This is something that I couldn't get away from. About three months, I had a little encounter with the Lord and this little question sort of settled in my mind and in my heart and I couldn't shake it for three days. And the question was, Is it possible that the church has become so culturally relevant that she has simultaneously become kingdom irrelevant? Is it possible? Um, And I believe that's something that the Lord is is asking us, not just the big C church, but I actually believe he's asking us here at the Vineyard. Um, The question that the Holy Spirit is asking us is, what influence are we under? What influence are we under? What does it mean to be God's people? What are the unique characteristics And how is the kingdom life expressed? That's what we're looking at. And um, if you remember from last week as well, uh, going forward here, as we seek to be a countercultural body of believers, and I believe that's the invitation from the Lord right now, is for us to be counterculture. As we seek to be counterculture in our larger community, one of the things that we don't mean by being countercultural is that we don't mean that we're simply against culture or that we're simply afraid of wider culture. In fact, we're taking Jesus to be our model, uh, the incarnational Son of God, God, Him very self, come to earth as a man. Uh, we see that in Jesus and in the incarnation, God was not afraid of culture, but He actually entered into it. And so as the Holy Spirit begins to do this counterculture work, the thing that is not going to happen, and the thing that we, we're really going to oppose here at the Vineyard, is any notion that we're going to become uh, some isolated offshoot and run away because we're afraid of wider culture. That's not what we're talking about. We're also not talking about being a people who are principally against stuff. Against stuff. Uh, you guys uh, see those Christians who are mostly against stuff? You know, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about like the angry Facebook ranters. I'm not talking about the Westboro Baptist people who are always against everything. Uh, I'm not talking about any of that. But what I am talking about is taking on the very nature of Jesus, who, who being in the likeness of God was also defined by his humanness and came into the human condition, not separating himself away from it, but coming right into it. And I think that's something the Lord is inviting us into. 
In fact, it's one of the things that I love so much about Jesus. Uh, When you read the story of Jesus, one of the things that comes off the page is that Jesus is constantly defying everyone's ability to categorize him, right? It's one of the things that constantly gets Jesus in trouble with people. Uh, One of the ways that you know that you're living a great kingdom life is when lots of people like you and lots of people don't like you and no one can put you in one category. That's how you know you're living the kingdom life. The, 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 The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the religious professionals, when they looked at Jesus, what they saw was somebody who appeared to be morally and theologically loose. Now, was Jesus morally or theologically loose? No, but he appeared to be, he defies that category. And at the same time, Jesus was never the sort of person who, who gave in to the basest, he never gave in to the basest human like desires for instant gratification or whatever. Uh, Jesus was the sort of person who would go to a party, but he wouldn't get drunk, right? Like you, couldn't, you couldn't put him in the category. Like Jesus would go hang out with prostitutes. He would go hang out with tax collectors. He would go to the wildest parties Go to the wildest parties. Might even have a glass of wine. That Jesus. Might even start with a glass of water and just put his finger in. <laughs> but, but the thing we need to understand here is that Jesus was never the guy who was trashed at the party. He defied all categories. No one could put a label on him. I love this. When you start becoming the sort of person who is scrambling everyone's eggs, people on the left and people on the right, you know you're right in the middle of where God has you. He managed to be something completely different. And um, as we take up this theme of counterculture, I want to look at what I believe is a profoundly countercultural passage of scripture. We're going to look at six verses out of John chapter 10. And by the way, you could spend your whole year just reading John chapter 10. If you wanted to do that, that would be a great thing. This is what Jesus says. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. You should underline that. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Why don't we pray? Because I'm afraid that we could be a John chapter 10, verse 6 people occasionally. I know I am. Jesus is talking and we're not getting it. (laughs) Anybody there? Yeah. Holy Spirit, would you help us not be a John chapter 10, verse 6 people? Amen. Well, here's what we have in the first couple verses of John chapter 10. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he's he's speaking in parable form. And the thing I want you to notice right away is that there are three kinds of people in this parable, three different people or three different kinds of people. And it's really important that we we grab a hold of these guys right off the bat. Uh, There's the shepherd of the sheep. There are the thieves and the robbers. And then finally, there are the sheep. 
Um, and I want you to notice that there's only one true and good shepherd, and that's Jesus. Um, and since there's only one good and true shepherd, there's lots of robbers and thieves in the world. Anybody ever met some of the robbers and thieves that are jumping in over the side panels trying to get the sheep? If you hang out in the community of faith long enough, you'll meet some robber or some thief. So there's the good shepherd, there's Jesus, uh, and then there's robbers and thieves, and then there are a lot of sheep. That's what Jesus is saying. He said there's this sheep pen. And I want you to understand that there's more sheep in the world than the ones that Jesus is talking about right here because the sheep that Jesus is talking about right here, these are his sheep. So there's other sheep, and then there's this little group, this little flock. He's talking about his. And at this point, we should perk up because what he has to say about his flock is something that gets right down to the theme, right down to the heart of our theme about counterculture. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that there's this sheep pen, and it's filled with his sheep, and that the only good shepherd is the one who comes through the gate. He's the one who comes through the gate. And that the guys climbing in over the fence... Some other way, those guys are thieves and robbers. And it's the shepherd of the sheep who comes in through the gate. And not only does he come in through the gate, but he calls his sheep by name. This is really the important part here. He calls his sheep by name. They hear his voice. Say, hear his voice. They hear his voice. They hear his voice and they follow him. And Jesus makes it really clear here that his sheep will not follow strangers because they don't know their voice. The reason I believe this gets to the heart of our conversation about counterculture is because this is really simple, but a countercultural people are those who hear the voice of the shepherd and follow him. You want to be, you want to be really, really countercultural? Start listening to Jesus. Start listening, start listening to Jesus. God's unique, distinct people have always been a hearing God people. See, we can try a lot of ways to be uh, unique. We can try a lot of ways to be uh, different. And trying to be unique and different on the surface probably just makes us an irritant to wider culture. However, if we start with this really basic thing of being a hearing and listening to God people, we will naturally be a countercultural people. He's, Jesus is the good shepherd. He comes in by the door. It's not some other way. It's wide open. And there's sheep in that pen. That's me and you and a lot of other people in this room. And the shepherd calls his sheep by name, and they hear his voice. Every single sheep hears his voice. They know his voice, and they won't follow anyone else. God's unique, distinct people have always been a hearing God people. Um, Abraham heard God, and he left his city, left his family for a new place. Moses heard God and headed back to Egypt. Gideon heard God, and he came out of the wine press. Each of the disciples heard God and they left their regular lives and they followed Jesus. And one of the things I want us to see this morning is that hearing God is not something that just happens in the scriptures. This is really important because sometimes you can read the scriptures in such a way that it takes um, any sort of uh, notion that that could be you or I right out of the equation. Sometimes we read the scriptures like this as though that the scriptures and the people who are in the scriptures are the spiritual superheroes. And so the people who heard God in the scriptures, they heard him because they were like super Christians or they were super spiritual people. And by definition of their super spirituality, they had unlocked uh, access to hearing the voice of God. And that's really not true at all. What we see in the scriptures is, is that really normal, really weak, 
really average people, people just like you and I, they're the ones who heard God, and they're the ones who had God intersect their life. So if you want to listen, if you want to listen to God, uh, that is how you become countercultural. And I want to talk to you uh, not just about people in Scripture, but I also want to show you that this is something that's happened all through church history. Um, you guys heard of a, a guy named uh, Augustine? Anybody? Church history people? Augustine of Hippo, right? Or Augustine, however you want to say it. Uh, Augustine is one of the early church fathers, and whether you know it or not, every single person in the room here, probably a a lot of the reason that you uh, think the thoughts about God that you have and a lot of the the concept of God that you have comes directly from this guy, whether you know it or not. His his influence in the church has been that profound. Um, And we don't really have time to go there, but... This is Augustine's story, in short. Augustine was born to a Christian mother, and he had a father who didn't really walk with Jesus, but had some sort of a deathbed conversion. But he had a devout mother, and he was raised in a Christian home. But when he got a little bit older, 12, 13 years old, somewhere around 13, 14, Augustine went crazy. And he fell in with a bunch of guys who were basically living a hedonistic lifestyle, And he did every single thing that a young man could possibly do. So imagine, what is it that young men can possibly do? That's what Augustine's doing. And and he's brilliant, by the way, okay? He's totally brilliant, and he's he's going bananas. He's sleeping with everyone. It's just, it's a life of of hedonism. It's just, it's pleasure for pleasure's sake. Um, Augustine was famous for his cynical prayer. This is one of his famous quotes. God grant me chastity, but not yet. That sort of summed up his whole life. He was a total rounder, okay? Total rounder. Completely a hedonistic lifestyle. Uh, had children born out of wedlock. His mother was, man, she was so upset about this, you can imagine. And then one day, Augustine is sort of at the end of his rope. And he's, and he's, he's uh, sitting beneath a fig tree. Sitting beneath a fig tree. And... He begins to pray, and it's the first time he's prayed for real in a really long time. And in that moment of prayer, at the end of his rope, sitting beneath a fig tree, he said that he heard a childlike voice from the inside telling him, take up and read. That was the phrase that came to him, take up and read. And he took that to mint, take up and read the scripture. And so he grabbed the scripture. I doubt it was a book. It was probably maybe some kind of a scroll. Who knows? But he found some scripture. And he decided that he would just open it up. And the first place that he turned to would be the word of God to him. And do you know the first place that he turned to? This is really funny. The first place that he turned to was Romans chapter 13, verses 13 and 14. Let us walk properly. That is in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness and not in sexual immorality and sensuality and not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Can you imagine? It's amazing. It's amazing. I don't know why that touches me so much, but it does. Just you live your whole life and then the Lord gives you the one word, especially like that, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no other provision. It's great. Yeah, in that moment, under the fig tree, it changed his whole life. And from that point on, not only was his life changed, but the whole church was changed. 
again, you and I think the things that we think about God because of the encounter that Augustine had over 1,700 years ago. So we have Moses, we've got Abraham, and the disciples, they all heard from God. Uh, church fathers like Augustine heard from God. And then, then more recently, um, I read about this this week. Martin Luther King Jr. had an incredible encounter with God where he heard him. This is a really neat story. Um, most of us know quite a bit about the MLK story, but um, right after Rosa Parks decided that she wasn't going to give up her seat, Martin Luther King was sort of thrust into the civil rights movement, especially thrust in as a leader. He was a bit of a reluctant leader at first. And uh, finally he gave in to being the leader and, and felt the call of God. And uh, long story short, um, he was driving home one evening and he got pulled over by some policemen and they arrested him. They essentially arrested him for no reason, but the little ticket said that he was driving 30 miles an hour in a 25 mile an hour speeding zone. And so they dragged him out of the car and they handcuffed him and they put him in another car and they drove him several miles and he ends up in Montgomery. And you should read about this if you get a chance, his night that he spent in jail in Montgomery. But he was actually relieved. He says in his, uh, in his biography that he was relieved that he was going to the Montgomery jail because he was certain that these two cops were going to kill him because at the beginning of this trip they were driving through essentially some dark woods and he was relieved to see that he was going to be in jail. He says, uh, you know, it, it might not be pleasant, but I knew I would live was sort of the, sort of the vibe. And then the next day, he gets released from jail, and he heads back home. And he's not home very long until he receives a, a phone call. And on the other end of the phone is a man. And the man says, basically, you're not going to last long. It was, a, it was a death threat. But there was something in this death threat that Martin Luther King said that hit him harder than normal. Um, there was something in this death threat that carried a spirit to it, is what Martin Luther King said. And uh, because at this point, he had been having between 30 and 40 death threats a day. But something about this one, he said, settled on me, if you can imagine that. Anybody ever had those moments? Maybe not death threats, but like some words, words that normally don't affect you, but settle on you. It was one of those moments. And he was overcome with a sense of fear and a sense of dread. And then I just want to read you part of the story here. And then sitting at his kitchen table, sipping the coffee, King's thoughts were interrupted by a sudden notion that at once intensified his desperation and clarified his options. Something said to me, you can't call your daddy now. And you can't call your mama either. You've got to call on that something in that person that your daddy used to tell you about. That power that can make a way out of no way. And with his head buried in his hands, King bowed over the kitchen table and prayed aloud. And he said, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right. I still think I'm right. And I'm here taking a stand for what I believe is right. But Lord, I must confess that I'm really weak now and I'm faltering. I'm losing my courage and I'm really afraid. And I can't let the people see me like this because if they see me losing my courage, they're going to lose their courage. The people are le looking to me for leadership, and if I stand before them without any strength or courage, they too will falter. I'm at the end of my powers, and I have nothing left, and I've come to the point where I can't face it alone. 
And as he prayed alone in the silent kitchen, King heard a voice saying, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness. And stand up for justice. Martin Luther, stand up for truth. And lo, I'll be with you, even to the end of the world. And then King heard the voice of Jesus. He said, I heard the voice of Jesus saying to fight on. He promised to never leave me. Never leave me alone. No, never alone. No, never alone. He promised never to leave me. Never to leave me alone. And then as the voice washed over the stains of the wretched caller, King reached a spiritual shore beyond fear and apprehension. I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never experienced him before. Almost at once, my fears began to go. King said of the midnight flash of illumination and resolve, my uncertainty disappeared and I was now ready to face anything. See, the unique unique people of God have always been a hearing God people. Abraham, Moses, the disciples, Augustine, Martin Luther King Jr., and most of the people in this room. I've got so many hearing God stories that we don't have time to tell them all this morning. But I'll tell you one that happened about five years ago because it sort of formed some things that have happened here at the church. Um, some of you who have been with us for any amount of time know that uh, it's not an official church thing. It's sort of an informal, like communal church thing. But uh, some of you guys have heard that, that some groups of, of friends here in the vineyard do this thing called declaration dinners. Y'all heard the, about those? Um, well, if you haven't, this is what a declaration dinner is. A declaration dinner is essentially uh, a group of friends getting together, uh, having dinner together, and really it being the nicest dinner that we can possibly make together. And the center portion of the dinner is this, that after dinner, each person one by one will stand at the table and tell everyone else at the dinner table the true dream of their heart the one that they've been afraid to share, the one that they've carried around with them for a while, the true dream of their heart. It's not, it's, it's not even a New Year's resolution. It's something more than that. It's the thing you kind of carry around with you, and you stand up at the table, and everyone else sits, and you declare the dream of your heart. It doesn't have to be long. You just declare the dream of your heart, and then everyone else at the table basically just affirms that dream and says, that's a good thing, right? And uh, these things have become really important for some of our friends. And we've seen some amazing things happen because of them. But this is how they came about. Uh, One day, I was mowing my grass on my lawnmower. And at the time I was mowing my grass, I was basically getting everything at the house ready because at that season uh, in our life, Heather and I were always having wine nights. Once a week, we'd have a wine night. And we'd invite friends over, and we'd open up uh, several bottles of wine, and we would just hang out in my kitchen and chit-chat, drink some wine, eat some cheese and some cured meats. You know, can't really get better than that. So I was mowing the grass, getting ready for a wine night. And while I'm mowing grass, 
I hear, I hear the Holy Spirit say to me, tonight, Adam, um, tonight have people stand up and tell the dream of their heart and have everyone else confirm it. That's all I heard. I got no explanation. I thought, that's really weird. And I just dro- I was just mowing my grass. And the whole time I'm mowing my grass, I hear the Holy Spirit say to me a couple more times, Adam, have people come to your house, have them stand up at the table, declare the dream of their heart, the secret one that they've been afraid to say, and have everyone else confirm it. I said, okay. I didn't tell anyone. I didn't even tell Heather. Now, at that time, when we were doing these wine nights, at that time, it was common for there to be 40 people in my house. It was common for there to be like no room and you couldn't even talk for the. Sh- I mean, it was almost a shouting level. You ever been in like a restaurant that's really loud and you're, you're sitting close to people and you're shouting at them? It was common for it to be like that. But on this particular evening, there weren't 40 people. In fact, it got to be time for one night and I looked around and there was like no one there. And finally, a few people trickled in and we were hanging out and having a really good time. And then I just, I look at the group and I said, hey, I feel like the Lord told me to do something today. He said, what? I said, well, I, I think we're supposed to, each of us, take a moment, stand at the table, declare the dream, the secret dream of, the heart, of your heart, the one that you really, really, really think about when you're in bed at night alone and everyone else is asleep, the thing that's in your head. I think we're supposed to stand and say those and I think everyone else is just supposed to affirm them. And everyone was like, okay, that's weird. But one by one, people stood up and declared the dreams of their heart. And one by one, the rest of the group around the table affirmed them. Long story short, amazing things happened. It kicked off this season of people, things happening exactly the way people said it around the table. I'll never forget it. Richard Fogler stood up at my table and he looked across the field and he pointed at this little brown house. He says, I want that house. I'm going to close on it. I want to close on it in 30 days. Now, Richard had never bought anything that significant in his life. Seemed like a pipe dream. In fact, while I'm affirming it, it seems like a pipe dream in my own brain. And in less than 30 days, Richard owns the house. Things like that happened over and over again. How did it happen? Well, it happened from just hearing God and doing what he said. It's an odd thing. It's an odd thing. And one of the things that we noticed that night when we did our first declaration dinner is that after everyone had gone around the table and declared and after everyone had affirmed, we noticed that on a night that there were normally 40 of us, 35 or 40 of us, we noticed that on this night there were only 12. We noticed that on this night that that uh, not only had I heard God speak to me while I'm riding the mower, but we had heard God speak even in the assembly of people there. That number 12, that's a, that's a disciple number. That's a, that's a hanging out with Jesus number. That's, a, that's an apostolic do a new thing number. And uh, we, we felt even the confirmation of the Spirit in that as well. It's normal for people to hear from God. It's normal for people to hear from God. Now, anytime we start talking about people hearing from God, it can sometimes get uncomfortable. 
probably not so uncomfortable in this room, but if you start going out and hanging out with your friends and talking about hearing from God, uh, it, it can get a little odd, right? Um, you know that old joke, um, if, if you're talking to God, that's prayer, but if he's talking back, that's schizophrenia, <laughs> right? Except that it's actually really, really common for people, even people who don't designate themselves as Christians, it's really common for people with, who designate almost no, no God affiliation at all. It's really common for them to hear from God. There's a um, psychological anthropologist from Stanford. Uh, her name is T.M. Lerman. And uh, she's on NPR a lot these days, and she's been writing several articles in uh, like the New York Times and, and uh, a lot of other things. But she wrote this book uh, called When God Talks Back. It's a really interesting book. In fact, her book is based upon, most of her research in this book is based upon her time spent with two vineyard churches, even though she's an unbeliever. It's a really interesting book. I highly recommend it. And uh, this, is what she's talks, this is what she says um, about people who hear voices. She says this, she says, hearing a voice when alone or seeing something that no one else can see is actually very common. At least one in ten people say that they've had such an experience if you ask them bluntly. About four in ten say that they've had an unusual perceptual experience between sleep and awareness if you interview them about their sleeping habits. And if you ask people in a way that allows them to admit that they could be wrong or that they've made a mistake, the rate climbs much, much higher. By contrast, schizophrenia, the most debilitating of all mental disorders, is really rare. Less than one person in a hundred can be diagnosed with any manifestation of the disorder. Moreover, the patterns are quite different. People with schizophrenia who hear voices hear them frequently. They often hear them throughout the day, sometimes like, like a rain of sound or a relentless hammer. They hear not only sentences, but paragraphs, word upon words. And what the voices say is always horrid. Insults, sneers, and contentious jobs. Dirty. You're dirty. Stupid slut. You should have gone under the bus and not into it. That was not what Abraham, Moses, or Job experienced, even when God was at his most fierce. I love that, don't you? It's really normal. Even, even psychological anthropologists who don't even believe in Jesus necessarily or even know that there is a God, even they confirm that it's really normal for people to hear from God and the things that God says are radically different from psychological disorders that people have. Really, really different. The nature of what God has to say is so, so different. I love that last line. That was not what Abraham, Moses, or Job experienced even when God was at his most fierce. That's awesome. So according to Lerman, you're ten times more likely to hear from God than to be a schizo. <laughs> I love that. And there's a reason for that. And the reason for that is really simple. The reason is that God is a speaking God. He's a communicator. It's the essence of who he is. Uh, all of his creation was formed 
from the word of his mouth. And who knows what that looks like, but the Bible says that he spoke the worlds into existence. I have no idea how that happened, but he's, he's a communicator. He creates by, by speaking things. Um, not only that, but he loves his creation. So God is a speaking God. Uh, he is given to communication. And then beyond that, he just loves his creation. And then number two, you and I have been perfectly constructed to hear him and to interact with the spirit world. Uh, our listening facilities extend far beyond our ability, our ability to hear one another. You have a whole set of listening abilities that extend way beyond what your ears can pick up. There are listening abilities that are on the inside. They're inside listening abilities, and they were crafted and formed by God. Um, our understanding extends far beyond intellectual understanding. And this is, this is part of what it means to be a human. If you live your life only by what your ears hear and what your eyes see, you will be less than a human. Why? Because humans were made to interact with other humans, and humans were made to interact with the spirit world all at the same time. You have spirit, you have spirit faculties. Uh, inside of your body, there, you know, there are organs. There are, um, there are things like gallbladder and liver, and I've heard of things like uh, lungs, and I think I'm on safe medical ground here. You have a heart and a brain, and you have veins and capillaries, and you have all of these muscles even, and you have all of these organs on the inside, but somewhere, somewhere tucked in all of that is... Is, is a spirit nature, and there are spirit organs that are made to, to perceive a realm that most people perhaps can't see. If you live your life only by what your ears hear, you're living far less than human. Far less than human. You're made to interact with God. You've been perfectly constructed to know and hear God. And while hearing God is really common, it's only a portion uh, of the popular culture who hear God. So popular culture isn't, right now, uh, known for its ability to hear God's voice. Therefore, to hear God is to be countercultural. It's common, but, but most people right now are not hearing God. And they're not hearing God, not because He isn't speaking, but they're not hearing God because they've never learned the quiet language of listening. However, for us, for us, to the degree that we begin to become listeners... To the degree we begin to learn the, the, the quiet language of the still small voice is the degree to which we become uniquely countercultural. Uniquely, uniquely countercultural. To hear God is to be countercultural. Um, hearing God is a different kind of hearing, it's like picking up another language. Uh, this is one of the reasons why, if you want to learn how to hear God, uh, you don't really have to read or study. All you need to do is you need to go hang out with somebody who hears God. Like, the best way to learn another language is not in a book. Can you learn another language in a book? You can. Uh, we have several people here who are grinding their faces off getting uh, Spanish degrees. And you, you can do that. However, th the best way to learn another language is the way Glenn Yoder did. You just go throw yourself in Nicaragua for three months with people who don't speak English, and the next thing you know, you come home fluent. If you want to hear God, just start hanging out with people who hear God. But one of the things that we see from the text, can we put John 10 back up? One of the things that we see from the text when it comes to this countercultural notion of hearing the shepherd is that hearing is never a standalone event, but hearing is always connected to what? Following him. Following him. Look at what verse 4 says. It says, when he has brought him out all his own, he goes before him and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. So hearing God's voice is only 
one little part. And hearing God actually won't make you countercultural alone. For us to be countercultural, we have to be people who hear and follow. Hear and follow. Uh, in fact, in the ancient mind, in the ancient mind, and this was uh, common not just among uh, people who followed God, but uh, almost any ancient mind, all the gods, uh, there was always this really strong connection between hearing God and obeying. And in an ancient mind, uh, if you were to say that you had heard God, but you didn't obey, uh, they, would, they would say, well, that's preposterous. You didn't really hear God. To hear God is to obey. And we see this in Jesus as well. In fact, it's in James chapter 1, verse 22. Uh, James says that if you hear and you don't do, you're deceived. That's the worst part. So if we practice hearing without following, we're going to lead ourselves into a kind of deception. Um, lots of people are hearing, but that's not the litmus test for being a countercultural kingdom person. It's in the following. Uh, and I want you to notice here something as well. There's a lot of comfort in this passage. The, the countercultural kingdom person litmus test is in the following. Uh, you and I are the sheep, and it's the shepherd who's going out first. He's the one who's leading. Jesus is leading. Uh, he's the one that's blazing the trail. Uh, the mantra of this present age is, go and do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Uh, the, the book of Judges is alive and well in America. Uh, that, that refrain that's in the bu- book of Judges. And in those days, every man did what was right in his, own rise, in his own eyes. That's the mantra of today. Go and do what you want. But what we see for countercultural kingdom people is, it's not that we do whatever we want. It's that we follow the shepherd. We follow the shepherd. And he's the one who's leading. And for some of us in the room, the notion of beginning to listen to God, to hear God, and then to begin to follow him, that feels really risky. Uh, it feels risky because there's, there's a chance you could be wrong. Uh, you need to know a couple things. Uh, number one, uh, hearing and following means that Jesus is always ahead. He's always gone first. That's what we see in this passage. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. He leads them out. He goes before them. Um, it doesn't matter what we're hearing from God and what he's inviting us into. The good news for everyone in the room this morning is that Jesus is always ahead of us. He's always the person who's gone first. Um, a lot of us have this idea, and it comes from our rugged American individualistic notion. It's this idea that we're going to be trailblazers and pioneers. And I want to tell you, if you take that on very, very long, if you grab hold of that in, in, a, in a non-kingdom way, you'll eventually probably have a nervous breakdown. Because the stress of always being a pioneer is overwhelming. Uh, the good news for this, everyone in this, this morning is the fact that Jesus is, in fact, the one who's always a little further out. Jesus will never invite anyone in the room to go someplace that he's not already at or hasn't already been. And furthermore, this morning, for those of us who feel like this is a risky life, furthermore, uh, not only is Jesus going out ahead of us, but furthermore, Jesus is not just the shepherd. Uh, scripture tells us that he's also the lamb that was slain. Now, I love this picture here. In John chapter 10, we see that Jesus is the shepherd, we're the sheep, and there's some robbers and thieves. But we also know uh, from some other writings that John wrote that he had a picture, he had a vision of Jesus, and the vision that he saw of Jesus was that Jesus was the lamb that was slain. Well, why is that important? Well, it's important because, um, it's important because uh, Jesus is not the kind of leader who doesn't know what it's like to be a sheep. You ever had that boss who who was really good at giving orders really good at giving orders but had never actually been in the position that he was bossing people around in 
You ever had that? That's the worst. It's the worst. Jesus is not the boss who's never been where we are. He's, he's the lamb that was slain. He, he knows what it's like to be a sheep. He's, he knows what it's like. He's a shepherd leader who knows what it's like to be a lamb, to be a person, uh, to feel vulnerable. Uh, we don't have a leader who's never lived it, and we don't have a general who's never fought. So no matter what the circumstances are, we can, we can trust God because he's always going ahead, and he knows our frame. Uh, the other thing I want you to notice from this passage this morning about hearing God is that that hearing God is both personal, it's both profoundly personal, and it's communal. Look at verse 3. He says, The gatekeeper opens the gate to him, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls him his own sheep out by name. When, when you and I begin to listen to God and begin to hear to God, uh, it is profoundly personal. God will oftentimes speak something to you which is unique to you and it is when you have that experience you know what i mean it's just like the whole world changes it, it, god becomes so intimate um but at the same time hearing god is not just a, you know a, a personal exercise there's also something communal about it look in verse four when he's brought out all of his own he goes before them and the sheep follow him not the individual sheep but the whole group the whole the whole little herd so the shepherd calls the sheep by name um, but he's calling them all out to follow him. So hearing God is a huge part of what it means to be a whole person. And yet hearing God is, is what should root us and bind us in his countercultural community. Uh, what I mean by that is this. It, it's possible to become the kind of person who spends some time listening to God. But if our listening to God begins to divorce us from the community of faith, we're not hearing him. It should be intensely personal, and it should bind us back into the sheepfold. There should be something that, that connects us. Uh, and In fact, if, if the things that we're hearing, let me put it this way, if the things that we're hearing from God uh, are good for us but not good for the community, well, you didn't hear God. You didn't hear Him. Uh, hearing God doesn't make us elitist. It doesn't make us haughty individuals. We should take note when our hearing God doesn't bring some good word to the whole community. Why am I saying that? Um, well, I'm saying that because once a person begins to practice listening to God and hearing to God, uh, one of the temptations uh, for that person, and it, it's a temptation that happens without you even knowing it. It's, an, it's almost an imperceivable temptation. But one of the temptations for a person who is awakened to hearing God and has had a deeply personal encounter with Jesus is this. We can become tempted to simply take all of our desires and baptize it with God told me so. This happens all the time. Uh, I've had people sit in my office and tell me that God has told them to do this and that. And sometimes what God has told them to do is terrible. Like really terrible. Well, how does that happen? Well, that happens in a culture where people can have an individual encounter with God, but aren't responsible to the rest of the flock. Well, what we see here is that hearing God is for everyone, that it's deeply personal, and that the words God speaks to us should be a good word for the whole community. For the whole community. So it isn't just that I get to baptize my own desires and call it hearing from God, or God told me.
we could spend the next few weeks just talking about how to hear God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the three and a half minute version, how to hear God. <laughs> this is so foolish. Hmm. How to hear God. Uh, number one, number one, read the scriptures. You can, hear the God, you can hear God every single day in the scriptures. Read the scriptures. Become acquainted with his word. Um, and then number two, it's really, really important to spend some time listening. Spend some time listening. Uh, at first, spending time listening to God means sitting in a quiet room with nothing on. Like getting really, really quiet. I have found in my life that this is one of the most unnerving unsettling, difficult practices probably that there is. Uh, In fact, I could probably get you guys to fast for a week before I could get you to sit in a room for 20 minutes without going to sleep. Why? Because there's something about the silence that's unnerving. But there's something about the silence that opens us up to be able to hear the voice of God. Uh, One of the ways that Scripture describes God and His voice is that, that it's the still small voice. By far, the exception in Scripture is the audible, external, thundering voice. That happens a couple times. Uh, it's mostly about Jesus, <laughs> and it's mostly to Jesus. Uh, there's a really good chance in your whole life you're never going to hear the external, audible voice of God, and that's okay. But one of the things that everyone in this room can hear, and the voice that's speaking every single day is the still, small voice, and it almost always requires silence. Almost always requires silence. Uh, not not because it's a volume issue, but it is it is an external like thought stimuli issue, and you have to you have to get down and get your soul quieted so you can hear him. So it's, spend some time listening, and because it's a still small voice, you got to get quiet. Most people don't hear not because they're unable, but because there isn't a quiet margin. We have simply filled up all the spaces in our life. Like one of the things I hear the Holy Spirit saying right now is like build some margins into your life. For all kinds of stuff. Like you need to have some margins to be able to hear God. Like you ought to take five or ten minutes a day to sit in your room absolutely quiet and don't even pray. Just sit before him. And it's not even about effort. I'm actually not even trying to hear anything. Build some margin. If all of your spaces are filled, then all of your spaces are filled. That's one of the troubles with being a finite human being in relationship in a relationship with the infinite God. Uh, it's entirely possible for infinity to want to come and fill and speak you, but your finiteness and your lack of spaces simply eradicates the possibility. I also believe that God mostly speaks to people in the still small voice for a reason. And I believe it's for our own good. The reason I believe that God mostly speaks to us in a still small voice is because you have to want to hear the still small voice. So God will oftentimes whisper what he's saying because the only person who can hear a whisper is the person who wants to hear a whisper. Like any idiot can hear the shouting, right? 
And the, the worst thing for me and you is for God to come in shouting so that everyone can hear it and for him to, to release the blessing of his word over people who didn't want to hear it. It actually will create a hard heart in that person and they will become impervious to his goodness. However, he will oftentimes, mostly, he mostly whispers because you and I have to actually want to. To, to, to hear the whisper of God is to first engage the will, my own will, to want to hear him. Uh, once you want to hear him, uh, the battle's already won. You're actually able to receive his goodness. And the last thing I'd like to say in this five-minute portion of hearing God is this. Uh, that the voice in your head of accusation, it's never him. Oftentimes, uh, people hear some other voices, and oftentimes the voice they hear is a voice of accusation. And I would like to just confirm for you this morning that the voice of accusation is never the voice of God. Never, 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 never the voice of God. Uh, In the scripture, uh, the only person who's known as the accuser is the devil. And oftentimes, the things he's accusing you of are quite accurate. The devil is a liar who sometimes tells the truth. But just because the devil comes and shouts some truth in your ear doesn't mean it's true. Some people in here are like, what is he talking about? Well, the devil is a liar who sometimes tells the truth. Sometimes he will come and whisper some truth in your ear that isn't true. The voice of accusation is simply never God. And I'm not even saying that God doesn't even care about maybe that issue that the devil is whispering, but that's never his method. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction always has hope that you can change with it. Condemnation never does. Never, never, never does. When, when, when you feel convicted from God, it's always an invitation to come and be a new thing. It's, it's, it's rarely, it's rarely, 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 you're a dirty, rotten pornographer. Get out of my face. It's almost always, I love you, why don't you just come up here? Really? The dirty, rotten pornographer voice, it may be accurate, but it's always the devil and it will never lead you to life. It will only lead you to more shame. And if you listen to that voice, you will become more of what you've heard. So we have to learn how to, as Paul says, take every thought captive. Some thoughts need to be taken captive and put in jail. Amen? I feel like I've just done a terrible job this morning. (laughs) I have no idea what I'm even talking about. (laughs) Awesome. I'm at the end of my notes. Good. If you're on ministry team this morning, come on up. Wow. Lord Jesus. I need more coffee. That's what it is. Lord Jesus, would you help us? Lord Jesus, would you help us? Yeah. Hey, why don't you guys stand up? I want to pray for you guys. If, if you need prayer for anything after this prayer, you come on up. We've got some people here who would love to pray for you.
Um, I would also like to say lots of people have gotten healed here at the vineyard in the last two months. Lots of people. We've seen, we've seen the power of healing turned loose here inside and outside the building. If you're sick in your body, come on up. Like, if you're going to the doctor this week for something, I'm not saying don't go to the doctor. I'm saying come and get prayer and then go to the doctor if you need. But do it. Great. Hey, why don't you uh, put your hand on your heart? Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we want to be a countercultural people who hear and follow. Father, would you speak our name? God, would you call every single person in the room out by name? Holy Spirit, we ask that in the quiet margins that you would speak. God, we want to listen and hear for you. And in the name of Jesus, I just take authority over the voice of accusation and the voice of condemnation. And I command it to be quiet. And Father, I ask that you would tune our 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 listening ears beyond what we hear one another say, God. And I ask that you would tune us to the voice of your Spirit. God, would you begin to whisper to us? God, the same whisper that Abraham heard. God, the same whisper that, that the disciples heard. God, the same whisper that Augustine, Martin Luther King God, we ask that very same whisper that you would that you would speak it to us. In the name of Jesus, the Good Shepherd. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you need prayer this morning, you come on up. Otherwise, give somebody a high five and a hug. Have a blessed Sunday.